Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, He walks in. He brings a host of gifts. Joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and we give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come, for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. Jesus taps at the door. We open it and let the conversation begin. How are you today? Well, I'm doing pretty well. I have a bit of a lingering cold, but as we were talking before the program, there's something going around that's yeah. more than your regular cold, and it takes a while to get rid of. We hope we don't tax your voice too much today. Today is the celebration of Pentecost Sunday, commemorating the descent of the Holy Spirit onto the apostles 50 days after Easter. Pentecost is often referred to as the birthday of the church. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of Pentecost Sunday for us? Well, it's called the birthday because it was only at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit made it possible to unleash the apostles upon the world. In another sacramental way, we can say uh, that the church was born from the wounded side of Christ on the cross when blood and water came forth as a sign of sacramental life. You know, the Holy Eucharist and the waters of baptism. But birthday in the sense of actually, well, maybe that's the right word, being actualized through the power of the Holy Spirit when for the first time the apostles threw open the locked doors and went on the roof and preached Christ and brought people into the faith, into the church. Uh, In that sense, it's Pentecost Sunday where this happens. We'll talk more about Pentecost Sunday when we look at our gospel today, but tomorrow, June 9th, we're also going to celebrate a brand new memorial mass honoring the Blessed Virgin Mary as Mother of the Church. It was back on February 11, 2018, that the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments issued a decree implementing Pope Francis's decision that the Memorial of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church, be inscribed in the general Roman calendar and observed on the Monday following Pentecost. Can you speak about what this means for the Church today? I mean, celebrating the Virgin Mary as both the Mother of Christ and the Mother of the Church. Well, it's a a beautiful and profound uh, theological and spiritual reality that's at work here. Uh, Obviously, Mary is the mother of the church. Uh, She's spiritually the mother of all those uh, who are part of the body of Christ uh, because she is mother of the body of Christ uh, as she was of his physical body in the incarnation and nativity. You might say that she also participates in bringing the church to birth Again, we we talk about from the wounded side of Christ on the cross when Jesus says in the Gospel of John to John, Behold your mother. 
and to Mary, Behold your son. The fathers of the church have reflected that this was not, as, as so many things in scripture, it's not just about John and Mary, but there's a profound uh, theological reality here that John is the symbol of the disciple, uh, in other words, representing all of us, the church. So when Jesus says, Behold uh, your mother, behold your son, this is uh, an extension of Mary's uh, motherhood uh, in the new creation of grace to the church. So, and then also Mary being present uh, uh, in the invoking of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, you know, that begging the gift of the Holy Spirit to be poured forth. So all of these beautiful things have to do, and they're not just, you know, I think it's very important, these are not just symbols or poetry, but they reflect profound spiritual theological realities that we need to take to heart. And at the Second Vatican Council, it was uh, St. Paul VI, Pope Paul VI, who dedicated uh, the church to Mary on that occasion as mother of the church. And uh, at one of the side altars at St. Peter's, uh, at which I often said daily mass when I was working there at that particular altar, it's a Mater Ecclesiae. It's a, uh, an image, uh, an ancient image of Mary and under with that inscription, uh, mother of the church. And that comes from the time of Pope Paul VI. So now Pope Francis simply has extended that to the to that piety and that theological reality uh, to the consciousness of the whole church by putting it on the calendar for everybody every year to meditate on that fact that Mary's mother of the church and uh, to make it part of our prayer and devotion. And it makes perfect sense that it should be celebrated the day after Pentecost as we celebrate the birthday of the church. The next day we celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary as mother of the church. You know, it causes me to reflect that so many times people, including our Catholic people, and I must say right away that it's not their fault. It's the fault of our lean preaching and teaching. But so many people, they think of our faith um, in terms of uh, legalistic things or something from the past or uh, somehow re uh, external to them, mm -hmm. I guess you could say, the church of externals. And I mean even external to them personally, to their soul. Whereas the reality is that uh, the, church, the reality of the church is a profound spiritual mystery that embraces each and every one of us who are baptized. And we don't, a lot of times, advert to it. We don't, we don't, we don't live it as we should. And this is one of them, uh, that, you know, the, the role of Mary and, and her motherhood uh, over each one of us and over the church and how important that is. In this day and age when the church is confronted by so many different challenges, I think it's more than appropriate that we um, have this special feast of Mary as mother of the church because w when we have problems as, as children or even as adults, who do we go to? We go to mom, don't we? And, and we ask for mom's help and guidance and direction. It's, it seems very logical to me that um, Pope Francis should inaugurate this new memorial mass in the Roman calendar. Absolutely. And again, it's not that the Pope creates her as the mother of the church. She's always been the mother of the church since the foot of the cross. But in our unfolding appreciation and, and theologizing and, and spiritual uh, reflection on these realities, these mysteries of faith, we, we articulate them in new ways. And this, this is a way of expressing that. Tuesday, we celebrate the memorial of St. Barnabas, the apostle. And although Barnabas was not among the original 12 apostles, he's traditionally thought to have been among the 72 commissioned by Jesus to preach. And the Acts of the Apostles describes him as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And Barnabas dedicated his life to the Lord. 
that just brought up a question in my mind to ask you, Archbishop. How can a married couple today feel like they are doing the same, that is, dedicating their lives to the Lord? Well, I would simply respond that I know many who do. Um, Living a devout uh, Christian life, a Catholic life, raising a family and living that way is possible for people. It's much harder than it used to be because it takes a lot more uh, intentionality to do it in a world filled with distractions and where it's not part of ordinary life of people. You have to make a distinct effort to do it. But there certainly are many people who do it. And uh, the more they do and the deeper they go in that kind of thing, I think it bears much fruit in their life, the life of their children and everybody that they know. Thursday, we celebrate the feast of St. Anthony of Padua. He's the patron saint of the poor, travelers, and lost items. Most remembered as the saint that we pray to for help in finding lost items. Many people say that St. Anthony always comes through. Have you found it so? Oh, I've been known to offer a prayer to St. Anthony. When you can't find something? something, Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's it's kind of traditional. But I'm amazed at the number of people who do do that and, and then come to the conclusion that, yes, they found it after saying a prayer to St. Anthony. Well, you know, we have to remember that uh, we're not talking here about, uh, you know, leprechauns and uh, tooth fairies. And superstitions. We're talking, uh, well, I mean, those are harmless superstitions, but we're talking about the reality that surrounds us of uh, what we might call our heavenly patrons and friends, uh, those to whom we can be close uh, even uh, through the veil that separates us from eternity. And uh, so I think that's a very healthy devotion to have that familiarity uh, and that bridge with uh, uh, eternal life. Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address, and then we'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. And this is taken from Pope Francis's general audience, delivered on October the 15th of 2014, (coughs) and is called, Don't Let the Lamp of Hope Burn Out. Pope Francis says, Christian hope is more than a wish. It is not optimism. For a Christian, hope is fervent expectation. It is waiting ardently for the ultimate and definitive fulfillment of a mystery, the mystery of God's love, in which we are reborn and which we are already living. It is waiting for someone who is about to arrive. Christ the Lord approaches even closer, day by day, and he will bring us into the fullness of his communion and of his peace. The Church has the task of keeping the lamp of hope burning brightly so that it may continue to shine as a sure sign of salvation for all humanity so that it can illuminate the path that leads to an encounter with all-merciful God. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, yes, uh, I think the Pope says it very well, uh, that it's not just a wish, it's not just optimism, but it's fervent expectation. You know, at the we say at Mass, Christ has died, but we also know that he will come again. Um, that we, in the prayer, there, especially in the Eucharistic prayer, this thing about the waiting uh, for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and so, and of course, he's also coming uh, in our lives, each individually. It's not just about the end of the world. It's also about uh, the curtain on our own uh, earthly life. Uh, so we should have a hope for that which is to come. Uh, because it's not something ominous. It's meant to be something liberating. It's meant to be something that brings us salvation. And and so that is our hope. So when we talk about Christian hope, we're talking about something much more than just, well, I hope the sun will shine tomorrow. Well, certainly the hope, 
the hope is the is that uh, we know by faith that Christ has won the victory, and that uh, Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, and to His kingdom there will be no end, as we say in the creed. And so our expectation, our our joyful hope, is for that to happen. Well, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our gospel reading on this Pentecost Sunday. Today's reading is from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Archbishop, your thoughts on the meaning of our gospel passage on this Pentecost Sunday? Yes, well, you know, there's, uh, you have the Vigil of Pentecost has its own Mass on Saturday, then Pentecost Day, and you have the ABC cycles of readings, and you have many optional readings in between because Pentecost is so richly reflected in the New Testament and in the Old as well uh, in a certain uh, sense about, uh, you know, the fulfillment of God's promise a new heavens and a new earth, and and God taking our the stony hearts from our, us and giving us uh, real hearts, you know that kind of thing. So this is just one gospel of many that applies to the feast, mm-hmm. uh, and of course it, it is it, what it says that it's the appearance of Jesus uh, after the resurrection, in which He gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, and of course here the uh, the punchline is who sins you forgive are forgiven them, and who sins you retain are retained. I think that's so important that uh, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Christ that all the sacraments uh, are administered, and particularly in this case, the sacrament of penance, uh, the gift of forgiveness. So, and that's something entrusted to the church through the working, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this gospel really ties in the Holy Spirit as the work behind the sacrament of reconciliation, the worker behind Yes. You know, even the formula we use for in the confessional, God the Father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his Son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. That's how, how it begins. So that prayer of the priest in the confessional uh, reflects uh, this gospel. And Jesus says, peace be with you. He says this twice to those locked behind closed doors. Because of adverse circumstances of life, we are often in fear, and we lock ourselves behind closed doors, closed minds, for instance. Is it not the desire of Jesus to bring us this same peace that he first brought to those disciples? Well, yes, with the resurrection of Christ from the dead, there's nothing we should possibly uh, be fearful of or anything that should hinder us from attaining what God created us for, and that is eternal happiness eternal joy through redemption. Yes, that's that's a very important uh, part, to be at peace. How many people today um, are not at all peaceful? Now, I hate to say it, I don't mean to be judgmental, but for a lot of people, they're not at peace because they have abandoned uh, the source of peace, which is God. 
and they have created their own world, a kind of godless world for many people that where God no longer counts much for anything. And so it's no surprise that without that essential element of the human person, without that spiritual reality, uh, they're not very much at peace, or they try to seek it in all kinds of worldly ways. But ultimately, the only way we can... What, what did Jesus say at the Last Supper? Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives peace do I give peace to you. Because worldly peace can be the appearance, but it's not the real thing. But the real thing only comes from God. Explain what receiving the Holy Spirit did for those first disciples of the Lord. They were enabled to do spectacular things for the spreading of the faith. Yes, indeed. Jesus had told them when the Holy Spirit came that they would do, he said, even greater things than I have done, which is, you know, hard to imagine. But uh, Jesus, uh, in his public ministry, did many uh, startling things. But when you think about it, over 2,000 years of church history, you can see what Jesus meant, that... uh, you know, greater things of a much wider scope that embraces the whole world and the souls of millions, even billions of people. You know, they still were the human beings that they were. Uh, Peter was still St. Peter with all his human foibles and, and weaknesses, but by the grace of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he became courageous and he became bold and he did what, what the Lord wanted him to do and he died a martyr's death. Does the Holy Spirit work in the same way today? Well, the Holy, to the extent that human beings are human beings and the Holy Spirit is God, yes, God works in the same way. So the Holy Spirit in work within us today to empower us to build up the church today as it did empower those first disciples to build up the church in those early days. Well, the church through all of its history, all the different phases, um, you know, I've, we've talked about this before that I'm always interested in history yeah. and uh, I, I probably am carrying on because I probably mentioned this in an earlier program, but I read that N.T. Wright uh, biography of Paul uh-huh. to the extent that you, he's a great uh, New Testament scholar, New Paul scholar. I, I can't say that it's a biography uh, as much as a, a telling of, of the story of Paul from the point of view of a, of a scripture scholar who has uh, looked at all the sources and who has mastered so much of that early history. But, and I'm also reading a book about the First Vatican Council in the 18 in 1870 and the the context of those times and i mentioned both of those books in in response to your question because you you see how through history uh the church has faced absolutely everything these are very comforting books to me because when i think of what people went through at the time of paul or i think of the things you know that were happening in the 19th century uh with the church we think we have troubles today and we do and the challenges today are more ominous in many ways because they get to the very root of the faith itself rather than the life of the church. But there have always been these things, and the Holy Spirit's been there to guide the church through it all. Well, that's because you and I are so utterly human, and everybody that belongs to the church is human. <laughs> well, I think well, we, we, should, yes. we should expect that, that, that we're going to, to fail, and the church is going to go through times of, of great challenge because we're, we're human beings. And we do make yes, mistakes. and not only that, but we also are uh, under this onslaught of the evil one too. You know that Jesus said that, Paul said that, and uh, we can never um, downplay that reality. All right, temptation is very real for all of us. Yes, 
Archbishop, let's look at a few questions that have been submitted. But before we get to the listeners' question, I have a question of my own that I'd like to, to have you comment on. Because lawmakers in Maine recently enacted legislation to allow physicians to assist people who want to kill themselves, allowing fatal prescriptions to be written. And in New Jersey, a similar law takes effect August 1st. Do you feel that the church is doing enough to remind Americans how precious life really is today? Well, I have to say there is no group in the country doing more to remind people uh, of how precious life is than the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, we are constantly knocking ourselves out trying to uh, reinforce this message. Now, I will say, and I say this, I hope not with bitterness, but a lot of the legislators who pass and sign these suicide bills are quote-unquote Roman Catholics. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that uh, in Connecticut, for example, the Connecticut Catholic Conference, representing uh, the three dioceses uh, of of our state, uh, has been front and center uh, in the legislative process and in the public sphere, uh, working with many other good people of goodwill uh, who are opposed to this, who've been right up there. And I'm happy to say that this year in the legislature, it did not move forward. That The fact that it did not move forward does not mean that there aren't people really pushing this and financing the push. But it is to say that there are many other very good people who are resisting it very strongly. And that's not only in uh, Connecticut, but uh, other places as well. But I will tell you this, you know, that uh, if the Catholic people uh, lose their Catholic faith on this matter, and start to say, as they have in so many areas of morality, well, the church teaches that, but uh, we listen to all these other voices, how this might be good, and et cetera. Well, if that happens, that doesn't mean we won't continue to be as bold as we are and, and forceful in trying to uphold the right to life, but it does make it harder because legislators can count. They can count votes. And, it, and, and uh, I can tell you, when people stand up to be counted, it does make a significant difference on this and every other issue as well. And, you know, you don't have to be uh, a Catholic to see the statistics of what happens when uh, death enters society like this, this idea of people killing themselves. It's reached extremes that we would not believe in, in some places in Europe, you know, where young people are allowed to commit suicide because they feel depressed or this or that. I mean, and, and if you look even in our own country, places where assisted suicide is allowed, other kinds of suicides go up as well. Uh, you know, that are that where, where, where we would normally say don't jump, those are the kind of things that increase when you, when you get into this uh, disrespect uh, for life. Is the church doing enough? I, I think I don't know how much more we can do, except what we can do is for in the individual Catholic person and family uh, to stand up and be counted even more. Uh, not just the church's official representation or the coalitions that we can lead or bring together or work with uh, to fight these threats to human dignity and freedom, but also, uh, uh, you know, everybody uh, being on board to do this. Well, I think it would be expected that you and I speak and stand up in favor of the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception right on to natural death. But what perhaps is much more profound is when the ordinary Catholic in the pew stands up and defends human life to that extent. And but, I would invite every, all of our listeners, yes, along those lines, to look at our, our website, you know, from the Archdiocese and from the Connecticut Catholic Conference. There are many uh, to see the kind of activities that are going on and, and what, what we can do. Let's take a question from George from Oxford, because this dovetails into what we've just been talking about. 
George says, the bishop in Springfield, Illinois, where the state's legislature meets, has invoked Canon 915 of the Church's Code of Canon Law and barred pro-abortion legislators from receiving the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Bishop Thomas John Paprocki has ruled that state legislators who are working to liberalize Illinois' abortion laws may not present themselves for communion in his diocese and that priests are expressly forbidden from giving the Eucharist to both the Senate president and the Speaker of the House. Archbishop, would you ever consider doing something similar to this? Well, I'll tell you the, the underlying reality in this question is the most distressing thing of all because what it is is the fact that so many of the legislators who are supporting these things are Catholic, nominally Catholic. And that's the great uh, sadness, that's the great uh, tragedy. A generation of souls that really, I think, have lost their way when it comes to what it means to be Catholic and what the, the actual meaning of church teaching is from time immemorial on such fundamental truths that used to be universally recognized in the Judeo-Christian tradition, not just by Catholics. So that already tells you something very sobering and troubling. As far as imposing canon law, well, bishops have gone back and forth about this, whether this is uh, the prudent thing to do or a helpful thing to do in a given situation. I think most bishops would not go that far as to invoke the canons, but I would never, I can tell you this, I would never want there to be ambiguity about somebody posturing to be a good Catholic uh, going to communion and, and then boldly uh, doing these kinds of things. Uh, but I don't think uh, I feel we've reached that state uh, here in Connecticut. And it seems to me that this whole question of uh, abortion, like so many things in our country, is becoming extreme. And by that I mean these ghoulish uh, new laws making it possible to kill a child even when it's being born in the name of abortion. This, to me, is really... I do not believe, I do not believe that the majority of American people uh, accept such a thing as being uh, right. And yet we have the, you know, abortion advocates who are going to absolute extremes uh, about, uh, about these matters. And, and of course, that's the way it works. Once you open the door uh, to something that is uh, immoral and evil like that, uh, it only gets worse. It, it never, you know, despite all the promises uh, initially, that this is, oh, just for extreme cases or uh, uh, difficult, heart-wrenching situations, eventually it just becomes something uh, really very tragic uh, and horrible. Mm. Tom from Hartford has a question for you. Tom says, there is a lack of peace in my life, which has hurt my relationships with others and even my relationship with God. How can I make space to experience God's forgiveness and gift of peace? Well, I think... uh, one of the things we've already talked about is central, and that is the sacrament of penance. When you talk about uh, hurt relationships with others and with God, the sacrament of penance is meant to be uh, uh, for healing. What is the absolution prayer? May God uh, grant you uh, pardon and peace. And so that is a first step. But of course, the confessional is the sacrament, but then we have to leave the confessional and try to live by the sacrament. And we have to Pray for the gift of, uh, of peace. You know, every time we say the Our Father, we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. And then at Mass, the next prayer after the Our Father, before communion, is the one about peace. Peace, I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world do I give peace to you. That is something that, that, that only Christ can give us. 
So it's through faith and prayer that we indeed can come to the to peace. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our program time <coughs> together this morning. So can you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord God, with all our hearts, we praise and thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit by which we are transformed into the life, the risen life of Jesus himself and are made through the sacraments, one with him and given the gift of eternal life. We ask that the Holy Spirit may move the hearts of many more people, especially those who have fallen away from the practice of their faith, that the fire of the Holy Spirit may be awakened in us to be ardent witnesses of the joy and peace of the gospel, and that the Holy Spirit may be awakened in the hearts of those who've fallen away, that they may once again uh, be renewed in the faith. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for joining us in the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to uh, joining you next week. And until then, we wish you a very pleasant week and hope you're feeling better too. Thank you.